0: Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful. We'd ask that you would watch over us as we look at your word. Give us the benefit that we need out of the passages we cover. In your son's name, amen. I don't know why I was in Psalm 34. I, I keep looking back at Galatians going, okay, I should start a series through Galatians. And I looked at it again today, I said, "Now I'm not ready for that. And um, realized I had been in, through Ephesians, I'd been in New Testament for quite a while. I went back and started looking at Psalms. And it seemed that every Psalm I looked at and was blessed by I would preached on three weeks ago or something <laughs> it seemed like just too recent. It's been about 10 years since I was in Psalm 34. I figure that's a good enough delay. Most of you weren't born at that point. But Psalm 34 is um, it's one of those historic moment psalms. The note above it, and we, we don't know who puts these in, and we don't consider them inspired, especially since he makes an error in the note a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. Um, it wasn't Abimelech. Uh, it was, uh, you look above the passage, it was Achish, king of Gath. Ahimelech was the priest right in that same passage that Paul, uh, David got the sword of Goliath from and some bread for his men, but whoever was writing these notes, again, they're not inspired, they're just pointing you to the circumstance if they knew the circumstance Um, uh, got that wrong but it directs us to that passage in 1st Samuel that when David had to play crazy this is right after um, David has riled Saul up and he and Jonathan make a pact and depart from each other never to see each other again and off he goes on the run from Saul he goes to Ahimelech the priest gets some blood of the, bread of the presence for his men which is used later in the New Testament as a symbol of, of uh, by Christ and also the sword of Goliath and he's on the run from Saul David is and he goes over to the Philistines at Gath remember Goliath was from Gath, and uh, the king of Gath, Achish, uh, he's considering working as a mercenary um, for the Philistines. He does that at various points. Um, The people in Gath remember David. Remember, he's not that much older than he was when he killed Goliath. David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And you remember the passage after he came back from the killing of Goliath. All the young ladies were uh, shaking it out on the street singing this causing that initial sense of jealousy that Saul had for David because Saul has slain his thousands. But David is tens of thousands. The chicks dig you. The other guys don't. Okay, it just happens that way. Guys get a little protective. You've seen those Discovery Channel movies with the rams hitting each other on the heads. That's what men do. We are... We are... Um, Proud of our standing with the ladies, and David had had this moment in the sun. Yep, teenage kid, picked out of the lineup, standing there in his loin clout with his ruddy face and his five smooth stones, and plant—you know—glipping off to a giant. It's a big moment for David. You lip off to a giant in front of the whole army. This is not one of those situations when you were in junior high. And you finally did something worth noting, and no one saw it happen. (laughs) No one. That's why I always try, when I ask you guys to do something strenuous and muscular, that the girls stand around and watch. Because if anybody has a moment, you know, catching the piano as it falls, or not, you won't miss those opportunities. David did not. The whole army of Israel standing on the hill the whole army of the Philistines on the other hill and he's lipping off to a giant in his skivvies with a slingshot now I mean it was a a manly slingshot it wasn't a Dennis the Menace slingshot then he kills the giant after having lipped off to him it's like Babe Ruth pointing for the I believe that happened in baseball somewhere did Babe Ruth point to something and then hit the home run into those bleachers that's what he did. He lipped off to the giant, killed him dead, cut off his head, took his sword, killed a bunch of Philistines, and all the ladies sang. That's a, you, you, those are good moments. Those are, what's that thing, I think it was one meme on the internet, or guys walking away from explosions without looking back. You, you, we know that's true in every thrilling man film that that something blows up, usually the size of Montana, right behind you, and you don't even flinch. You just walk away, superimposed on top of the flames and the cries of the dying. That's what men do. That's what men want. Great moment. Wouldn't it be great if your whole life were moment after moment, moments like that? Because then we could be happy. And David had that turn on him. Saul turned against him. Things got bad. He shows up on the run from Saul and somebody remembers the same song. Last time he heard it, he felt great. Now the Philistines are going, we heard this song about you killing tens of thousands because you were killing Philistines, I remember. It all comes back to haunt him. David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down to his beard. Then said Akish to his servants, Lo, you see a man, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? Did you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? It was a pretty convincing act. Usually grown men are too proud to drool in their beards and scratch at the doorpost. We don't, we always want to seem to be born command of ourselves, but whether David was inspired or not, or just a really good, crazy actor. But that was the moment Psalm 34 was written about. Him playing mad in front of the king of the Philistines to get him out of a sure death situation. He was afraid. He didn't know where to turn. He didn't have the, the power at this point in his life. Now, just as a warning, positive moments, which you will have, it's sort of that uh, bad things are going to happen, you know, sort of a, like that Eeyore sort of mentality, well, no matter what, it's going to turn around to be bad in the end. Christians know that when we have good in our Christian walks, we will probably in this life, not be sustained in those good moments because the world doesn't like to see, evil men don't like to see, you put forward as a bastion of righteousness in their world. They always want to tear the Jesus Christ down. They always want to tear the St. Paul's down. They are willing to pursue you from house to house, town to town, put you to death because Successfully righteous people, and we're not talking about, again, whether you're going to be successful in your career. I thought you assumed that we were going to be talking about you having a life in Christ that is, that is beneficial or that's successful. And to see David in a moment where everything is yanked out from under him. His wife, his friend, his career, his standing in the community of Israel... He was the famous young buck, and now he's on the run in Philistia? And now the Philistines perhaps are going to kill him? And he has to play crazy? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You've heard me say this before, that joy isn't might say Christian joy until it reaches you might say almost in a crazy way to that joy in spite of the circumstances everyone else thinks would not be joyful you're sick you have a headache your girlfriend broke up with you your team lost did our teams lose oh yeah, oh, yeah. okay <laughs> I don't even know. All I know is Penn State beat Michigan in quadruple overtime. Frank's happy. I can't say that was tough. Michigan's one of my teams, but. We know that these bad things happen. Someone you love gets cancer. You get cancer. You're given two years to live. You get fired illegitimately from a job because you took a stand at one point for Jesus Christ up on campus and somebody remembered. I have a friend who lost his job there at the uh, engineering department because he wrote a letter to the editor supporting Christianity. And that was all it took. Didn't matter how many good evaluations he got. Didn't matter how much the students liked him. Some non-believing professors didn't like the fact he stood up for Jesus Christ and he lost his job. So what do you do now? David's in a situation where his first line is, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast to the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and be glad. It's not like he's clueless. He knows he's afflicted. He wants to represent this to others who get into afflicted situations. What you're measuring with God is what is good about life in Him. If you're an idiot, you think life can be made into a golden age for you, all the way to your golden age, and then you'll have a golden age and a golden retirement, and then you'll lie peacefully in your bed, you know, drifting off maybe in sleep at the age of 95, virile and and healthy, And then suddenly just have a stroke, painless, and be carried off to glory and the applause of angels. That's what some churches want to represent Christian life as being able to be. Some people get a good life, some people have their bills paid on time, some people can have anything that goes wrong be fixed by a professional instead of yourself. Those things can happen. They exist in this world, usually on the East Coast. But uh, we also know that we are representing a religion that actually has a point in real life. In affliction, it offers something good. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. So if you've ever suffered any affliction, If you've ever been tempted looking at your right hand seeing whether you're going to make the fist and then you're going to shake it towards heaven. What what was bringing you there? What affliction got you there? David wants you to join him together with him to rejoice in the circumstance that God does for the afflicted. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed." Now, everything didn't get fixed. He's still on the run. He's sitting in a cave someplace, scribbling this out on a piece of papyrus or animal hide, going, oh, this is really good, oh, this is good. I just got chased out of Gath by a bunch of irate Philistines who thought I was crazy. It's got away with my hide. I'm going to tell other people about God's deliverances and God's redemption. When we look to God for redemption, when we look, we have to we have to be ready to see the arenas of redemption He offers. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We tend to measure, we have a kind of a ground, a a picture of what, when your mother says, well, what do you want to do for your birthday? And you go, oh man, what would I really want to be doing? eating at McDonald's for three meals in the day. Full tank of gas. I remember my parents on my 18th birthday gave me a full tank of gas, the 65 Galaxy 500, named Phil. And I think $18. Which 19, whatever year that was, I was 72, was something. I had a day, I know I got the car stuck up on Moscow Mountain because a Galaxy 500 four-door is not designed to be a Subaru. Um, but I was doing what I wanted. If I The way I wanted it to be. I wanted to be comfortable. That's why I like my birthday being in October. It is the most comfortable weather. You can wear a jacket, you can sit outside, you can sit inside. You won't sweat. People give you food you like. My wife cooked me a Baked me I guess you call it, a cake with seven minute frosting which is the kind of frosting I like we think that our happiness comes at the end of moments you like well there's no crime in that I like the cake people came over argued I like that now what we forget is we don't have a wide enough list of what it is we like. We're so... We're so, such children about that. We know perfectly well... What was this guy who died just the other day? I saw it on the news. Um, he had bought, bought some mints. Caffeine mints. Oh, they taste like mint. He kept eating them. Killed himself with caffeine. Because each mint was worth one, you know, five-hour energy shot. Or one Red Bull. And he ate like 30. Well, we sometimes, (coughs) when we're trying to arrange our lives, we don't understand the good that God can bring in the situation. We don't understand, we don't have a wise man's view of the extent of good. Now, what's interesting about this passage It's quoted a couple of times in the New Testament. God wants us to taste and see this, that the Lord is good. We have to expand our definition of good. How do we function to get this good? Happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing, thing. Now, this is where he asks the question verses 11 and 12 Come, O oh sons, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. <clears throat> what man is there who desires life and covets many days that he may enjoy good? Okay? Okay, yeah. We're all nodding our heads vigorously, adding up the list of things that will be on. If if somebody, thankfully our kids are older now, and the Sears catalog, Christmas catalog, coming through the door is no longer a a time of great scriptural study for them. They would sit down at the counter in the kitchen, usually Graham and Gunn, with sheets of paper, going through the Sears Christmas catalog, writing down page numbers, and items and colors, and they weren't requesting socks. If you were asked, well, what, what do you want? Do you want many days, desires, life? Want your life to be enjoying good? What? What? What do you? What are you asking for? Well, how do you think of this? How do you prepare yourself for this? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. There you go. Now why? If you want long life, many days, enjoy good, why that? You know, why not cut down on the gluten? Don't get me started. Why don't make sure that you exercise? No, he says, why don't you depart from evil? Don't do bad things. Do good things. Be a person who seeks peace, pursuing it. Not just welcoming it, pursuing it. We talked about seeking God last week out of Luke 11 and how important it is. You get what you look for. You find what you seek. And he tells you to seek these things. Now the reason is, the eyes of the Lord, verse 15, are toward the righteous and his ears ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off a remembrance of them from the earth. That's why. Because good that can occur, even if you're still on the run from the Philistines and King Saul, you got delivered out of a situation, you were redeemed out of a situation that seemed impossible, because you had pleased God. Now, David is thinking of it in a unique circumstance he had just been in. When Peter quotes it in 1 Peter, he starts with about... uh, about verse 12. You see it over here on the side, 1 Peter 3.10. For he who would love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do right. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. That's the nature of the cosmos. Now there's a natural nature of the cosmos that hard work and diligence and and good business practices will have you be successful. Okay, That's a natural, that's like gravity. That's where God made things to work out that way and you could be successful in good things that way. No crime in it. The Bible doesn't tell you not to be a hard worker. But you also know that there's a moral law in the universe And the moral pleasure of God rests on people who watch over their souls in a certain way. And he rewards them in a certain way when they restrain themselves from the contention. That's when it says you watch over your lips, keep your tongue from evil. Because the writer of Hebrew, not the writer of Hebrews, the writer of 1 Peter, so it would be Peter, I guess. Um is recommending this verse on the basis of watching your mouth. Because just before that, in verse 9, do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. Quotes the passage out of Psalm 34. Watch your mouth, seek peace and pursue it, Because God likes people who are that kind of righteous. So if you have a sense, I'm going to broaden my sense of the good that could happen. Because I know that afflictions going to happen, sometimes intentionally by man, sometimes by my own devising, sometimes just by accident. Stuff's going to happen, and I'm going to be tempted to shake my fist at heaven. That's what Christians run around doing, because they have this little short list of what it means to be happy rather than saying, hold it. Is that the example I have in Christ? Now I know I'm working backwards in this Peter passage, but look at that where he quoted the passage that we just ran across when, when David is thanking God or rejoicing in God or praising God for this deliverance in a difficult moment, and he recommends that you have a certain attitude so the Lord will support you, Peter quotes it as an example of you as a Christian living peaceably with other people in 1 Peter 3. Look right above that in 1 Peter 2. You're probably wondering why I skipped right over that. Why did I have it on the page? Well, I had to put it up above because it came before, but it's now coming up afterwards. It talked about in 1 Peter 2, submitting to the emperor. Then it talks about submitting to your masters, even to the overbearing masters who punish you unjustly. Then he says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he trusted to him who judges justly. And then it goes into wives submitting to your husbands, even to the unbelieving husbands. And then it says, finally all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love for the brethren, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you have been called. It is telling you that this is about, you might say, optimally represented Christ on the cross optimally represented, Christ on the cross, to be crushed down by all of the authorities in your life, fired, jilted, unfriended on Facebook, you know, tragedies. that would make you think your life's not going well. David wants you to gather together with him, O oh afflicted, and learn with him the breadth of God's deliverance taste and see the breadth of God's deliverance. Christ is our example. Christ wasn't rejoicing because oh, the angels are going to show up and get me down off this cross and kill all the Romans. Which is our temptation. Until God kills all the Romans, until the bad guys get their comeuppance and Alan Rickman falls to his death off the Nakatomi Plaza building, we don't we don't feel better. The bad things have to be resolved. We don't realize what Christ looked to. He trusted to him who judges justly. Who, he who for the joy that was set before him endured the shame. Do you have a wide enough definition of what is good? Or do you have some childish, you know, adolescent a lot of candy and fun rides. I, you know you, I don't know if you know this, but I, I should probably say this, but tomorrow's just back from Disneyland. I'm sure you didn't ride any rides. No. no. Well, you know when you're young, well, they're kind of young. Rides matter when you're young.. And they don't later on. They really don't. You you can drive right by Silverwood. Kids screaming at the window, eyes big as saucers, noses pressed up against. Can we stop? Can we stop? Can we stop? Do you have a simple view of joy? A simple view of God's goodness to you? Have you tasted enough of his goodness in the circumstances that this world is filled with Affliction. It's not saying, you know, buckle down, it's tough. What, uh, I was talking to Jeremy Knudsen on the phone the other day about uh, pessimism, and uh, the foundation of unshakable despair. You know, that sort of, it's all wrong. We're not asking you to get stoic about life. We're asking you to see the rejoicing Being able to have a radiant face. Your faces never be ashamed. Have something to taste that is good from the Lord. Because the Lord is open to people who follow a certain path of righteousness. If I don't have this greater sense of what God could do, I don't value the quality of life he recommends to me. The not reviling people, blessing them instead, getting tacked up to the cross and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How many times have we said to ourselves after we came out of one of those moments when you could have been really cool in front of a lot of girls, and said half hour later, oh, if I just said that. Oh, if I just I, if you think of that great line, that that you know, that Bruce Willis sort of line, or the Clint Eastwood sort of line. What was it? Dying's a bad way of living. Or do you feel lucky? Well, do you? all the rest of you punk. We all know the quotes, right? We studied the scriptures. We all want to have reviling at the tip of our tongue. We, we curse the day our mind wasn't fast enough to revile effectively. You go, What's that? why is it always a half hour late? Why is sin just not right on the tip of my tongue? Our Lord wasn't that way. That we should, he suffered for us, leaving us example that you should follow in his steps. Are, are you not treating affliction rightly? Do you, you think you're right because you're still an adolescent in your mind about what's happy, what's fun, what's rejoice-worthy, that you can't stand any affliction because it's a violation of the, 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 the guide to happy that is you? If the guide to happy is the Lord's redemption, what God can do for you, The love God gives you for the people that are standing around the foot of your cross. Knowing that the Lord hears you in verse 15. He doesn't hear the evildoers. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. And delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You know, just like in the question of theodicy, which is not the Odyssey written by Homer, theodicy, the question of God's holiness and the creation of evil, the existence of evil, philosophical problem. We're always wondering, okay, God, well, how come evil exists? And, and they get away with it. And the basic answer for the Christian is, they don't. No one gets out of here alive. Everybody has to pay for what they've done. Everyone. So it's problem solved. Question of evil, you heard it here, 2013, also as Christian Church. But the other problem is affliction happening to the good. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. We're not living in a world where evil doesn't exist and get judged. We're also not in a world where afflictions don't happen to the righteous and God does not help. God does help. Taste and see. But the help isn't just like the nature of wickedness. Wickedness wouldn't exist unless it was allowed because righteousness has to be allowed. You've got to have that choice. Affliction exists because of the wickedness of man. We are hurt by bad men. Christ was hurt by bad men. I just have to have a broader view of what it is to be redeemed by God. It wasn't feeling good and in good health. Something about nails in your wrists I consider to be uncomfortable. People being put to death. Jesus Christ is uncomfortable. How does the Lord deliver them all? What's wonderful is this next verse. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. That's the other part quoted in the New Testament. John 19. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not a bone of him shall be broken." It's all about you having a broader understanding of what good salvation blessing is. The blessing, not a bone of him shall be broken because he's already dead. And then they run a spear into his side. And John points to that and says, blood and water came out. In 1 John, he refers to that and says, this is, you know, you came with the water and the blood. He's pointing back to this moment. It's, It's crucial that the death of Christ was the delivery of Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, endured it. Do you have an understanding of the good God wants to do to you? Do you want that good or you just want an adolescent good? Party all the time, good cell phone service, you know, and a and a and a girlfriend who's, you know, really good looking. Because really, and your team always winning. I don't know what other things you care about. It's adolescence. It's a short list but if Christ were a mature agent and I would suspect he is he's measuring the world in the presence of evil he trusts him who judges judges justly revenges gods he does what is good no guile was found on his lips he did not revile he practiced Psalm 34 they killed him for it And in his affliction, he looked forward to the joy and understood the good that was coming of it. It wasn't stiff upper lip, Jesus. Bad things happen to good people. It was good is coming. Taste it and see. There's a way of rejoicing in the things of God in moments of affliction, because the righteous will be afflicted. What is the nature of God's deliverance? If I have an expectation, people wonder how you could ever think of not reviling your enemies when they raise up against you. The example was given to you that way. You can think, well, at least God owes me the right to mouth off to them, you know, say snappy rejoinders from the cross. Christ wasn't snappy rejoindering. Christ wasn't coming back at them. He was forgiving them. You see his conversation with Pilate and Pilate's almost overwhelmed by the grace that Jesus has to him. That's. Are you seeking peace and pursuing it? Departing evil and doing good? You will start to find out what the nature of God's redemption is and when you know what the nature of his redemption and salvation can be for you, you stop Trying to make your own, punishing them yourself with your smart aleck remark, punishing them yourself with your uh, vituperations heaped on them. You don't understand how God delivers and what the goodness of God looks like. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Paste it and see. do you understand that it's not an adolescent good time, but it's a good time? That the love of Christ on the cross, very difficult, hurt like the dickens, but it was the greatest act of love in human history. It's not just sin that is enjoyable. It's righteousness that can be enjoyable. Not just righteousness that can be enjoyable, but also the way God delivers you. Jesus Christ was delivered in part by a mercifully early death so they wouldn't break his legs to get him to die quicker. That's a kind of an insult to injury moment. You've been hanging on a cross all day, dying. And they figured out, oh, you've been hanging on too long. Let's break their legs so they can't hold themselves up anymore. And they suffocate and they die. That's the whole point. It's not just torture. It has a practical reason. Christ was spared that. He was spared that a thousand years before, prophetically. Do you understand when you are in Christ and you are loving the world, what kind of support the living God is behind you? That passage I pulled out, memorable verse, look to him and be radiant, so your faces shall never be ashamed. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. We do face afflictions difficulties at times, we'd ask that you would be teaching us that this is the time not to rear back and try to force good situations back into being so we can always have our birthday party. We'd ask that you would give us your son's patience and love, especially if it is unjust, angry at your righteousness in us, that we don't really fall back on our ways of resolving it, but that we trust you. We taste how you do things. We accept your deliverance. Thank you again. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.